Hi, and welcome to Job Search the Smart Way, a podcast for graduate students and PhDs. If you're wondering what you can do with your degree, you're in the right place. You'll learn top tips and strategies you can apply to build an impactful career and meaningful life. Your host, Dr. Marin Wood, will share evidence-based research so that you can job search the smart way. Hey, everyone. I'm Dr. Marin Wood. Thank you so much for joining me. Apologies for the missing episodes the last couple of weeks. Here's what happened. So I did that thing where you say yes to seven things when you actually only have time to accomplish five. And you're, when you do it, you're like, okay, I, I know I'm overcommitted, but it's going to be okay, and I'll hunker down and hustle through, and I'll work some evenings and weekends, but it's going to be fine. Forgetting the fact maybe that you're already working evenings and weekends, and there's not actually a lot of time to squeeze out extra in your days. And then four things blow up, and instead of just being two or three days behind, you're sub- suddenly seven days behind. So what do you do when this happens? Um, how do you handle the situations where you've, you're overcommitted, you're exhausted, you're, you have too much to do on your plate? Well, this is one of those moments where I'm going to give you some really good advice that I actually need to hear myself. This is a do as I recommend, not as I actually do. My tendency is just to power through, and that's usually not the right choice. So full confession, starting in September, uh, I worked every day that month. And except for one Saturday. And then I worked every day again in October. And then every day in November, I t- and I took American Thanksgiving off. And then I worked every day in December, but Christmas and New Year's. Um, and I was doing this because, you know, beyond prof, we had a lot of commitments. We were growing. We were onboarding a bunch of customers. We were developing and designing new courses. We were doing a conference. Like there just was project, project, project. Um, and so by early February, I was absolutely feeling it. I was like, I am exhausted. So I treated myself, I'd, I actually launched a couple of things and I was like, okay, I'm going to go uh, hang out in a hotel room and just not bring my laptop and actually cut myself off from work. So I did that. Uh, I almost made it 48 hours and then I was right back into work. And I pushed all the way through to about March 17th when I finally took a five-day break. The week before my break, I was incredibly exhausted. My work was suffering. I was making small mistakes. I was moving at lightning speed. I was dropping the ball. And, you know, I just wasn't productive. And that begins to become a burden on everybody else. Uh, You know, my team is having to point out my flaws or clean up my slack. My partner is dealing with the fact that I'm really grumpy all the time. Um, And so one afternoon in March, as I was, I had to submit some tax documents. It was a very frustrating experience. I was working with a bank. And it just wasn't working, and I was just exhausted, and I just sat and cried at my kitchen table. And that's what burnout looks like, right? It's like, you just are doing too much. You're not taking care of yourself. There's no balance. There's no mental break. It's just exhaustion. And I know that many of you that are listening to this podcast have done, done this to yourself, too. We say yes to too many things. We're ambitious, overachievers, so we set too high expectations for ourselves. And then when we don't meet these ridiculously high expectations, we blame ourselves. So academia is a culture that celebrates terrible work-life balance and 
entrepreneurship is equally bad, if not worse. Uh, And those of us who are attracted to academia or or entrepreneurships, we already tend to be workaholics anyways. And so these conditions that we're in just exacerbate kind of our, our personalities as ambitious, overachieving personalities. So anyways, back to why there were no podcasts. Well, when I was sitting at my kitchen table crying and I then took a four day break, some friends came to town and we did things that we were able to do with COVID restrictions. It was just like so nourishing. I cannot believe how much I needed that and how much I was missing that like relaxation and fun and conversation and, and, and just being myself and not being just a stressed out ball of anxiety. So I made a commitment to myself um, in March that I would take one complete day off a week. So to make this happen, I started waking up earlier and working an hour and working a couple hours later. And I know you're reading, you're hearing this and you're thinking like, Marin, how is this better? But it's baby steps in the right direction. Yeah, we'll, we'll see how it goes. Uh, so all week long, as I was pounding out projects to meet a couple of deadlines, I kept messaging Melissa, who's my digital marketing strategist, and she's a great friend. And I kept saying, okay, I, I can do all the things, plus the podcast. I'm going to do all the things, all these deadlines, I'm going to meet them, plus I'm still going to get the podcast out. And she just kept pushing back. She was like, she just reminded me to prioritize. She was just like, it's going to be okay. Like what you're working on is more important. This is, this can wait. Just, you know, deep breaths, take your time, do what's important. Uh, and don't overwork. And so it's really important that you surround yourself with people who want you to be successful. And that part of you being successful is that you take time for yourself and that you have work-life balance. And so that's what I had to do. I actually made a tough decision. Um, as I was you know, coming to the deadline uh, Friday evening and I was wrapping up my final projects that were due on deadline, I, I thought about getting up Saturday and just pounding out a couple of podcasts and, and Melissa was like, just Marin, you know, take, take the break. And I reflected on the fact that I'd actually made a promise and commitment to myself. And when, um, a, a couple of years ago, when I was speaking to a, a, my therapist, you know, she reminded me that you have to build trust with yourself, that if you make a commitment or a promise to yourself to do, to do certain things, uh, if you fail to fail in that promise, then you actually don't trust yourself. That the way in which we build our relationship with ourselves is very similar to the way in which we build relationships with others. So that if you make that commitment and that promise, it's important that you follow through with it so that you learn to trust yourself and, and trust your own boundaries that you're setting for yourself. So that's what I want to talk a little bit more about today on the podcast is it's how important it is to set boundaries around our work to be better bosses to ourselves, to set priorities, to have routines, and to ultimately just be better managers of ourselves and our times, and then to keep the promises we make to ourselves. This question of time management comes up quite often when I talk to PhDs and graduate students. Job searching is a full-time job, and yet you already have one. You're trying to survive an already obnoxious workload within academia. Uh, and many PhDs are leaving academia because they're already burnt out from overwork and, and a poor work-life balance. So what strategies can we take in order to help us manage all of our competing tasks, responsibilities, and deadlines? And this is especially true right now during COVID-19 when some of the things that we would normally do to help take care of ourselves are, are not things that we can currently do. And we're like, often, so many of us are, are working and living in the same you know, space. And so it becomes even more difficult to have routines and set boundaries. All right. So the first thing that we should be doing 
is as much as possible setting a routine that helps mark the beginning of our workday. Personally, I find that I need to spend 30 to 45 minutes every morning doing some kind of exercise. It kind of helps me get out my nervous energy. I'm, a lot, I'm able to sort of think about what I'm going to do for the day, meditate on any kind of problems that I need to maybe be focused on or thinking about, reflect on what happened yesterday. So it just gives me that space to really kind of think and contemplate uh, my, my work day. And what was really interesting to me was a few weeks ago, I read a, an article in the Washington Post uh, that was citing a, a study that was done by a Harvard business professor that showed how much people are actually missing their commute time. And the studies showed that people are more productive if they build in a, what she called a fake commute in the morning. Uh, so if you work from home and you've never tried this, I really highly recommend that you think about what is the ritual that you take that marks the beginning of your, of your workday? Researchers found that spending 20 to 30 minutes moving yourself between your at-home identity and your work identity improved people's mental health, well-being, and productivity. Now, it, partly it's because the commute time was often a very selfish time, right? It was a time where people could just meditate, they could read, they could listen to podcasts. There wasn't the expectation that they would be on, that they would be um, productive. They weren't necessarily having to, you know, do childcare or interact with, you know, family members or, you know, pay bills or be productive. They were just sitting. They were, they were commuting, they were moving, and they had time to sort of think and reflect on their day. So it's important to have a morning routine. Uh, but their study also found that it's equally important to have an evening routine. Uh, it doesn't have to be as long as a morning routine, but you still should have some sort of commute. Again, that ritual between I'm starting my workday, I am ending my workday. So perhaps in the morning, it's a walk or a run, or maybe you do that in the evening. Uh, and instead, you'll meditate for 10 minutes. So maybe the morning you're going to run, and in the evening you'll meditate, uh, or vice versa. But whatever it is that you do, uh, try and find space for a commute. Uh, and now some of you with children are like, huh, I would kill for 10 minutes to just meditate or, uh, or go for a walk. So you might have to, depending on your situation right now, involve your family in your routine. But that could also be important depending on, you know, if you've got children in, uh, who are doing homeschooling or you've got a partner who's also working from home. How can you set that ritual between this is our work day and this is our the end of our workday and the beginning of our at-home time. But that was a really great suggestion, and it's something that I'm really trying to implement more in my life. Um, I'd already been kind of doing it because I just intuitively felt better about having the, the, the beginning of my day and the end of my day. Uh, so I really highly recommend, recommend that to you. And carving out that time where you're not just moving immediately from the office to the kitchen and starting cooking dinner or paying bills or, or dealing with you know, family issues. Taking that time to actually transition between your work and your home life can be really powerful. The second thing that we really need to do to help us manage our time is actually set our priorities. So Jennifer Askey, PhD, is a coach for academics, and she did a really fantastic webinar for us at our Academic Career Success Conference back in October, one of those times when I was working too much. She recommends to her clients that they set their clear priorities for themselves what do you want to achieve right now? And as Jennifer points out, if you don't have your own priorities, then you'll let other people set them for you. And without priorities, how can you actually manage your time? How do you know what to say yes to and what to say no to? How do you know what's actually important to do next? You have to have clear priorities. 
Um, and you want to think about then how you are using your time and whether or not your time is being allocated in a way that supports your priorities. So is your priority to graduate, to finally finish your PhD or your master's degree? Is your job to find a six month uh, job in six months or to launch a business? What is your priority? And you'll m- maybe write down three or four priorities. Maybe you have one that's specifically family related, uh, personal related, or maybe you have one that's specifically work related. But think about what your priorities actually are. The clearer and more specific your priorities are, the better. They will help you prioritize your time and your tasks in a way that aligns with what matters to you. So if you're job searching and you need to find a job in six months, but your PI asks you to co-author a paper, you can decide to turn that down. You know that writing a paper is going to be a giant time suck, and it's actually not going to help you get a job as a project manager or as a data scientist. So that's exciting and flattering, but it's not actually going to advance your 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 job search is not going to actually advance you in the career you're trying to build for yourself. So you can turn it down. Um, and so it's really important to be very clear on what your priorities are so you can't be dissuaded to take on things that will take your time and your energies and are priorities to other people, but they're not actually priorities to you. So when you actually have your big goals or your priorities, then you can begin to evaluate what's on your to-do list. So you're going to have priorities and then you're going to have obligations, right? So maybe you have a job that you don't really like right now, but you're obligated to do certain things. Well, you'll need to fit those in um, and and figure out how to allocate time so that you're meeting your obligations. So you can use those two pieces uh, to to begin to structure your to-do list. So your priorities, the things that you actually want to do, and then your obligations, the things that you know you have to do. Um, and really evaluate the obligations. Are they, you know, what can you say no to? What can you not do? What can you do less of in order that you, for you to maximize the use of your time so that it aligns with your priorities? Now, there are a couple of tools or methods that are out there to help you prioritize your tasks. Um, but, and I find it's best to modify programs to fit your own situation, especially as academics, we're a little bit weird. Um, and entrepreneurs, we're also super weird. One popular and simple technique for organizing your tasks is called the Eisenhower method. It's not actually by Eisenhower. It was loosely based on a quote and it's kind of annoying. But anyways, it's called the Eisenhower method. And essentially what it is are four tags that you use to categorize every task. Each task gets two. So the tags are important, not important, urgent, and not urgent. So uh, some, so something important will probably directly relate to your goals or your obligations. So look at your to-do list. What are you obligated to do and what are you going to do that actually directly relates to your goal? Now, is the task urgent and important? So is it important but also urgent? That's probably related to a deadline, right? So it's important and it's got to be done by Tuesday. So that I'm going to do first because it's ur- important and it's urgent. Deadlines or things related to money are often important and urgent. But then there's important but not urgent, and that's kind of a weird category. Uh, Usually I put things in here that are not time sensitive. It's not something that I have to do immediately, but it's something that's important, like I need to get it done soon-ish, the sooner the better. Um, So that might fall into an important but not urgent. For me, that's often, I have a team member who's waiting for me to advance a project. And so I need to really get that done. But if I don't get it done today and I get it done by Wednesday, well, that's going to be fine. So that's maybe an important, but not urgent. 
Then there's urgent but not important. This one, I was so mad when I first learned about the Eisenhower method. I was like, if it's urgent, it has to be important. But actually, as you begin to use this methodology, you'll come up with moments of like, oh, that's an urgent but not important. So think maybe about a time when a student was panicked and emailing you. And so it felt very urgent. You should respond to them. But if they'd actually just read the syllabus, they could have answered their own question. And you actually have other things you need to be doing other than like repeating what you already told the student in the syllabus and in class. So you might put off writing that email. Sure, it's urgent, it's time sensitive, but it's actually not really important. It's somebody else prioritizing your time for you and telling you you need to do this thing right now when actually you kind of don't. So you'll play around with that category a little bit. And then there's the not urgent and not important. And you can put that in what we like to call the parking lot. It's kind of a thing that you'd love to do, but you're probably not going to get to. So don't put it on your to-do list because it's just not going to be a thing you're going to get to. Maybe it's a someday. It's a someday project. Uh, So you'll probably want to just move those off your to-do list altogether. So you can define what each tag means to you. Melissa, who I mentioned before, she likes to put her tasks into three buckets. The do nows, which are the urgent and importance. The when possible, which are urgent but not important. And then the do laters, the important, but not urgent. Um, and so uh, and then you, you just have a parking lot where you stick the other things that are neither urgent nor important. So when I'm really on top of my own time management, I sit down on Sunday evening and I make my list for the week based on the top priorities, what's important and urgent, what needs to be done that's time sensitive. And then what are the important tasks that I need to get done in order to help team members advance the projects? Um, And I almost never get, of course, to the not urgent, not important. Okay, the fourth piece of this is then to make sure you set realistic expectations for yourself. This one's really hard, but there are a couple of techniques you can use. First of all, you got to track your time. What are you doing each day and how long does a task take? Let's say you're job searching and you keep setting a goal of sending seven requests for informational interviews, but really you actually only send three or four. Well, stop setting a goal of seven. That's not a realistic expectation, and you're setting yourself up to fail. My friend Harry, for example, he wrote his entire dissertation by writing three pages a day, Monday through Friday. And that's it. That was his commitment, and he did it Monday through Friday. And at the end of the year, he had a draft of his dissertation done. It was fantastic. So track your time. What are you spending your time doing? How long do these tasks actually take? And then evaluate, are you actually spending your time the way that you want to spend your time? Are you spending your time in a way that aligns with your priorities? So do this for a few weeks and you'll be super surprised. You'll probably find that you're not spending time on your most importance. You'll probably be spending time doing things that don't align with your priorities. And you'll grossly underestimate how long it will take you to do tasks. So you'll be constantly setting yourself up to fail. And the final one is keep the promises you make to yourself. Now, I'm not talking about overcommitting where you're like, I'm going to do all the things, all the things, Melissa, and I'm going to get it done. And then I'm also going to podcast and I'm making all these promises and I can't actually keep them. Um, So I'm setting myself up for failure and I'm disappointed in myself because I'm making promises that I simply cannot keep. Now, I need to switch my mindset, right? I need to actually start making promises I can keep, which is like, I'm going to promise, I'm going to commit to taking one day off a week because I know I'm going to feel better. And this is why it's so important to set realistic goals because then when you set them, you can actually follow through. And as my therapist explained to me, 
the way that we build relationships with ourselves is the same way that we build relationships with other people. So if someone keeps promising you things and then they don't deliver, you stop trusting that person. And so that's the same thing that happens when you overcommit or when you set a deadline that you can't possibly achieve. Or you say, like, I'm going to work out for 60 minutes when you actually haven't run in six months. You know, make realistic expectations and say, I'm actually going to exercise for 30 minutes. That's what I'm going to commit to. And I know I can com- can keep that promise to myself. And then make the effort to keep that commitment so that when you set boundaries, you follow your own boundaries. You say, actually, no, I've set these boundaries and I'm not going to push myself. I'm going to stick within this framework that I've created for myself. I'm going to create realistic goals. I'm going to achieve things on a reasonable timeline and I'm going to not push myself to the point of burnout. So if your goal is just to take one night off a week from work, that's great. Set a goal to spend to send three LinkedIn requests. That's perfect. Set reasonable goals that relate to your priorities. And finally, the bonus tip, which you already know, is to avoid burnout. You must take time for yourself. Pushing yourself to the point of exhaustion means you're not working at your highest potential. You'll also affect your relationships and add stress to the lives of people who love and care about you. Overwork is not just counterproductive, it's harmful. And I think it's important that we're open and honest about the social pressures that we face to be on all the time, to be productive all the time, to work all the time. Part of setting your your priorities can be thinking about your legacy. What are you building that you hope to leave behind? For lots of us, it's going to be our careers. But we also, I think, want to have an impact on the lives of our friends and family. And yes, at the end of your life, you won't be wishing you'd spend another hour, you know, perfecting that article that didn't get published anyways, or another hour writing an email, or providing more thoughtful comments on a paper, or sending seven LinkedIn requests instead of five. You'll, have, you'll wish that you've spent an afternoon reading a book or talking to friends or getting outside to enjoy nature. So it's important to spend times on things that renew you, give you joy, and give you strength. So while my goal is to take one complete day off per week, I want to remind you that a weekend actually has two days in it. And you should, again, do as I recommend, not as I do, enjoy both of them. Take time for yourself, take time for your hobbies, take time for your friends, family, and uh, neighbors. Now I'll report back on how well I'm doing, and I hope that you'll let me know what goals you set for yourself and the strategies you're going to use to manage your time and your work. We appreciate you joining us for this episode of Job Search the Smart Way a podcast for graduate students and PhDs. For more resources to help you launch your next great career, be sure to visit beyondprof.com and sign up for our free events. And remember, smart people work everywhere.